Father in heaven. Lord God, what better way to find our way than to ask for the presence of your Spirit? Father, your Spirit, you have said, will come and guide us. And even though the way at times look dark to us, in your light, our way is clear. Father, let us find that path that you have called us to. Let us walk with faith and hope, God, would be my prayer. Holy Spirit, bless this, your people, I pray, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Lift depression, I pray. Thy kingdom come, your will be done in this auditorium as it is in heaven. There is no doubt. There is no fear. There is no wonderings in the place of your abode, O oh God. Lord, I pray, saturate this place with your presence. Holy Spirit, do as only you can do. Oh, join our hearts to our Father's heart would be our prayer. Lord, we're bankrupt except for you. We acknowledge our need, God. But I thank you that you have spoke blessings over us. I thank you that you have told us we are the apple of your eye. I thank you that you have told us I will never leave you. I do not know how to forsake you. God, help our hearts to be anchored in the truth of your word and in the truth of your spirit as he seeks to communicate with us. Let us feel the wooing of your presence, the love in your heart's desire, God. Might it become ours, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Father, now, bless the gifts of thy people. Lord, take and multiply. You have told us in times past, give. Just give unto me, and I will multiply that gift that you have given me. Father, we give now out of our hearts. Receive our gifts, Father, as our appreciation. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Is an awesome thing. An awesome thing is Jesus said, and we need to mark what he says because he's a pretty awesome person. He told his disciples just before he went to the cross, he says, he says, I'm going away, and it's necessary that I go away. Because if I go away, someone will come who can be with each and every one of you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, never leaving you. He says, up to this point, when you needed something from the Father, he says, you have asked me. And I have asked the Father for you. He says, but in that day, you won't even need to ask me. He says, you can ask the Father yourself because your Father loves you. You know, that's a picture of God sometimes we miss. We grew up in Sunday school that sometimes taught an angry God. Taught a God sometimes that looked like he just couldn't wait to get a hold of us if we got out of line. But looking at God through the eyes of Jesus, we see someone who was totally, radically different someone who pursues us, someone who wants to lift the doubts and the fears from our hearts and our mind, someone who wants us to walk in peace. If you notice Jesus' life, I don't care what time of the year he was walking, where he was walking, what was happening in his life, you always seen Jesus at perfect peace, at perfect peace. The only time I didn't see him at peace one time was when he was dealing with religious leaders. And he was so angry that they were putting blindfolds over his people's eyes and distorting the ways of God that it says Jesus turned and looked on them with anger, being grieved at the hardness of their hearts. That's the only time he was almost, as we see in Scripture, brought to a boiling point. I mean, that's powerful and riveting. I said at that moment, Jesus almost lost it. I've been rebuked, and he says he didn't almost lose it because he's perfect. Let me tell you something. Why do we want to whitewash him? Why do we want to whitewash everything when it comes to the Word? We always want to make it less than what it says. I says we take it at face value. He looked on them with anger. With anger, being grieved. You know what that grieved means? It means having his heart cut to pieces. Being grieved at the hardness of their heart. Raw anger, holy anger, that these people dare mess with the goodness of his God and bind things upon his people and rules and regulations that they should not be having to mess with. I want to finish a message I started a couple weeks back entitled, Winning the War in Our Heads. 
I want to tell you something. This is foundational to the Christian life. If you do not win the war that is raging in your own mind, if you cannot control the thoughts that are in your own mind, you are in a losing position and you will lose. When the storms of life come knocking, Jesus says, in this world, you shall have hardness and troubles. That's our lot in life. That's what it is. That's the facts as they exist. But then he says, be of good comfort. Because you saw me weather the storms. And in the same power that I have weathered the storms, you can weather them. We need to learn that now. So that when we're in the storm, there's an anchor that we can get hold of that keeps us firm and steadfast and moving in the right direction. This battle for the war for our minds, it rages 24 hours a day. It never stops, seven days a week, unless we learn how to control. And the Word does tell us that we have to control the thoughts that roll around in our mind. In this battle, there's no prisoners taken. No one is exempt. You're not going to be exempt. I went and, and, and typed in, you know, suicide rates. I want to know about depression and deep depression and, and who was more susceptible to that. You know, I found out that in most studies, people that have more are more susceptible to that. That almost blew me away. I thought people who are maybe middle income or don't have as much would suffer the most, but sometimes people that have acquired more of this world's goods suffer at least at the same rate of those that have nothing. This battle for our minds comes after everyone. It doesn't matter what our lot in life, where we live, where we move, our economic scale. It is something that we have to learn how to control. But I want to say something. Even though we have to war against the thoughts in our mind, our mind is not really our enemy. Okay, I want to clarify that. Our mind, that which we think with, that which we learn to reason, you know, our mind's good for a lot of things. I go to a car lot, I choose this vehicle or this vehicle. It is an evil. Our mind is an evil. It sounds as though it is sometimes because of the stuff that, that hits it and tries to access it, but our mind isn't evil. Our mind cannot be totally remade. Your spirit is. Do you understand the difference between your spirit and your mind? The spirit is the place where God dwells. It is a place of God consciousness. The word tells us in either 1st or 2nd Corinthians that when we become a child of God, God's spirit moves into our spirit and we become one spirit. If you remember, I did that little demonstration with the tea bag and the water. The tea bag was separate, the water was separate. When they were both put into the same container, they mixed. That's just the way it is with God's spirit and our spirit. They're distinct. But together, the blending of them together, where God sits on the center of our hearts, that can be redeemed. The day you become, a term that the church uses, born again, or the day that you came to know Christ, you are as saved at that moment as you'll ever be. When His Spirit moves into you, the presence of the Father has moved into you. You are complete in Him, the Word tells us. Our minds is a little bit different now. It's more connected to this world. With our mind, we reason. With our mind, we think. With our mind, we touch. I'm going to get thirsty here in a little bit. And my mind's going to say, you know what? You need to drink a water. And I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to drink some water. All that. That part of us can never be totally redeemed this side of eternity. That side fell in Adam. And for the lack of a better term, it almost stayed fell. Now, the word does see, we'll see in a little bit, that we can renew our minds. We can renew them. That's a process that continually, we continually renew our minds by feasting on the Word, by communing with God to try to keep this part of our thinking and reasoning straight. That's why it's important that when you face life, you face it out of your heart. Face it out of your spirit. That's the place where God sits. You learn to think Thoughts after God. You'll hear me say that often. We think thoughts after Him. He's our Father. I'm safest when He tells me something and I think His thoughts. I'm safest at that moment. When I face a mountain in my life, and man, I faced mountains and I'm sure I'm going to face some more. When, when I face them, when He whispers in a storm, 
that can be taken to the bank. When he whispers in a storm, that's solid. You can bank on that. Regardless what is happening here, when your father speaks, that can be taken. You can write a check on that just as sure as anything. That's solid and firm. Too many of us have only known what God has said. Too many of us only know God through what He said in times past. We need to know what God is saying now. For me, now. I need to know my Father's will now for me. And He can reveal that to us. So we need to learn to control our minds. And our mind is not the enemy, but it is a thought process that we have allowed to take place in there that can be very enemy-directed toward us. Our minds and thoughts are simply responding to programming by us, by our teachers, by our parents, by those in authority. We need to weigh everything we learn and everything we hear by what the Father has said. We learn to think thoughts after God. You know, if you're here this morning and you don't like yourself, oh boy, you better take that to the Father and see what He says about that. See what I'm saying? If you think thoughts about yourself that God isn't thinking, then you're empowering a lie. And guess who's the father of lies? Who is it? Satan birthed the first lie. God credits him. God don't give Satan much credit, but he does credit him with one thing. He's the father of lies. So if you're thinking something about yourself that God isn't thinking... You better be careful. You might be believing a lie. Find out what the Father thinks. These thoughts that come here and says, I'll never amount. I can never work out of this financial difficulty. I can never, I can never, I can never, I can never. That needs to be taken to the Father. Because as the pastor said, in Jesus Christ it's always yes and amen. It's always yes and amen. There's a good way to tell if your thoughts are coming from your own self the devil, or the Father, or the Holy Spirit. Our thoughts sometimes measure everything we do by our past. Now, if we didn't always do so good, it can say, you know what? This is probably going to happen right here. Hmm, this isn't really good. <laughs> Judging by your past. Jesus says you need to kick that thing down the street. You need to bow that thing to the Father. You need to send those thoughts running down the street because there's a better way. If you'll notice the Holy Spirit, He always, always, always takes us and lifts us up to the Father. He always lifts us up to God. His job in this world is to take the children, to take the sons and daughters of God and continually connect them to the Father. He will tell you, yes, that wasn't good. And you shouldn't have done that. Because this is where you really are. This is who, you're not here. Don't live here because you're really here. And that's the Holy Spirit's job to continually lift us up and raise us up to the Father. The war in our heads is fueled by wrong thought patterns, like I've said, by those planted by us in authority. We've been taught negativity. We've been taught how to worry. We've been taught how to fear. I remember my mother, she was a dear, blessed woman of God, but she came out of them hills of West Virginia, and there was a lot of superstition. Them people were superstitious like you could not believe. And even after she got redeemed, she would still be a little bit too negative. She would often tell me, I was a brand new Christian, so I'm pretty gung-ho. I didn't have many children. I only had one. So I'm real gung-ho when it comes to raising children. You know, when you don't ha have hardly any, or you're just new at it, you have all the answers. I had all the answers. And guess what she would tell me? She shouldn't have, but she did. She says, wait, wait, wait. Your day is coming. You will learn why I worry. I think my mama should have took that thought to the father. <laughs> because a day came. And guess what happened? I began to worry. And I began to worry. One time, 
I got in a place that I worried so bad that I lost 50 pounds. Been to specialist. We thought I was going to die because I had been programmed, as many of my cousins were, by our parents who live really poor, that you wait, your day is coming. And the day came. And it came. And it came with a vengeance. Guess how I got out of it? I took it to the Father. Honest story. I lost all this weight, spent all my money on specialists. I told her, I don't know what I'm going to do. She sat there crying. She says, she says Richard, you've got to pull yourself out of this. You've got to do it. I said, i got no strength. I can't pull myself out of it. The mind is a powerful and a, and a worthy opponent. She says, you've got to. Out of desperation, I don't know why we always wait to get desperate. <laughs> I don't know, but we did. I went and got desperate. And I told her, I said, I'm going into my bedroom. And I said, I'm not coming out. I'm not hungry anyway, so I don't need to eat. I didn't eat. I said, I'm not coming out. I says, until I hear from my father. Now, that wasn't a mark of spirituality on my part. I should have done that six months earlier. That was an act of desperation. That was an act because I had no other way to go. Well, I went into that room. I was in there, was it a half hour, hour? I don't know what it was. But after I was in, I was reading through Psalms. I tried to read before, nothing made sense. I was reading through Psalms. And all of a sudden, I read across the verse. That thing binged me. Bing! Like that. I'm like, whoa. I backed up. I read it again. That thing hit me even harder. I said, this is the best I felt in months. I backed up and I read it again. Bam! The thing hit me again. I'm a dummy, so I backed up so God could hit me again. Bam! He laid it on me again. I shall not die. I shall not die, but live and declare the wonderful works of the Lord. That verse, at that moment, became mine. I read that verse again. Six times I feasted on that verse. My being became alive. Heaviness began to dispensate. Because now I wasn't hearing what was written. I was hearing what my Father was now saying to me at that moment in my life. I come out of my bedroom. I come around the corner, Alan was in the kitchen. And I said, sweetie, she says, you look a lot better. Bam, it become that clear that I had met my father in a verse of scripture that has always been. You got to get some power scriptures. That is always one of my favorite ones. Satan gets me in the corner, he says, you know what, this is of death. I turn back into Psalms and I say, I shall not die, but I shall live and I shall declare the works of the Lord. I shall declare the works of my father. And then I read, there is no, there is no praise coming out of the grave. So why should the Father put me in the grave? He wants me displaying His presence and His power. And that's where I traffic and I try to live in that, in what my Father said. That was an area that became alive. We, we can't, we, we have to learn. That was a warring, a warring against the thoughts of my mind that I had allowed, that I was taught from little up. I had bought into that. I had bought into the lie that I, that I, that I need to worry. And since then, God was pleased. <laughs> God was pleased to let me go through some more. But I weathered them much better. Even though they ripped my heart out. I went through something with one of my boys that it was almost a year later after we worked through it that my brother-in-law, Henry Detweiler, told me, he says, Rich, he says, you're not even the same. You're a completely different person. He says, something is different about you. There was something different. There was something different. I have tasted of the fires. And you can't run from them. But I'll tell you what, in the fire, I found his presence. And even though I was grieving my heart out and scared within inches of my life, and I held my two-year-old in my hand that was limp, the doctor says he would probably just continue to go into a coma and never come out. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing we can do. Enjoy him while he's here. My wife came in the hospital. I'm standing in a room with this boy just hanging over my arms. What she didn't know is just a few minutes before, I raised that child toward heaven. And I says, Father, you're good. And somehow there's something in here that's still calling me. Deep calleth unto deep. Something, there's still something in here telling me that I can rise above this, that can tell me this is not unto death, 
This is not unto death. I was scared and trembling and fearful. If you looked at me, you'd have saw a mess. But I was in communion with my father. And he reminded me of his love. And he says, you know what? We can do this. Man, I'll tell you what. I lived through it. That's the boy now that's given money to the church and stuff. When I had hoped that he would walk in the ways of God of his own, he's beginning to give out of his own abundance. That's the boy that I have prayed for. That's the boy that I had offered up in sacrifice to a holy God. See, a couple of months before, I thought there was a problem with Aaron. And God asked me to give Aaron to him, and I wouldn't do it. So, remember what I said? We're in a school. We'll pass the test, and God will keep bringing us the test until we pass them. You will pass a test before you, or you will stay there. And what happens, the test won't come in that area no more, and you won't gain fruit in that area. Again later, that test come with Johnny. This time I got smart. Heart ripping out, I says, God, this boy, and it wasn't as easy as I'm standing here saying. I have to run through this a couple times so I don't become a nervous, absolute wreck. My boy won't even let me talk about it around me because I just go into nothing. But the point being is that an act of lifting him up was an act of ultimate sacrifice. I said the story of Abraham, I have never viewed that story ever again about the offering up of his son Isaac ever again the same. Now I know what Abraham felt. Give me that son. Yeah, that one right there. And then I had learned as I stumbled in my reading that when fires come, God isn't looking for ashes. See, the devil was telling me this is the end. The God you serve is going to take your son. That's the God you trust in. What a lousy God. Hear that? The lie of the devil. But as I read the scriptures and meditate on the scriptures, I saw that God was an end to burn me up and create ashes. God was going for gold. God was looking for gold. He was burning the dross out of my life because he wanted me to be in his presence in fellowship with him. I had a little girl one time. She was afraid of the dark. I think it was this one. Was it you? Or was that Katie? Well, she must have lived through it. <laughs> I learned some things from God. You've got to face your fears. So I made her face her fears of the dark. I had to bar the door so her mama couldn't get to her. Because her mama's heart was going to break down that door. And I, at that moment, was an enemy. But when that girl come out, 20 minutes later, guess what? Now there's no darkness she fears. See what the father does? There's stuff that hinders us. He wants you to live a life of blessings. He wants you to live a life of joy. The only way that you can live a life of joy and blessings with the Father is to have junk removed out of your life or else you'll be crippled and, and struggling through life your whole life and trying to make it. He wants to remove stuff. It says he wants to take the path that is cluttered and he wants to remove the obstacles. And the only way to do that now, God's been removing obstacles of wealth from me now for 10 years. And I'm telling you, I'm about done with that lesson. I said, Father, this is the longest one yet. See, just before the recession started, two things let me know the recession was going to start. One, my aunt, whom I love dearly, my aunt, I have one aunt, gave her life to all of us children. She just loved us like a mother. And I worshiped that woman, basically. And uh, <clears throat> where was I going with that? Yeah, the recession. Where was I going with my Aunt Frida, though? Oh, yes, thank you. <laughs> There's always one smart one in the bunch that can read my mind. I don't know, Lonnie, if that's saying good about you or not so good. Because if, if you can decipher this... You are unique above all women. My wife even struggles to decipher this. You know what my wife told me the other day? How's this for a positive thought? I believe you're getting worse. <laughs> I'm hearing a voice of my mom. I hear you're getting worse. How's that for blessings? But that does motivate me. That makes me straighten up when Ali says, you're really acting old. Anyway, 
Thank you for that, Lana. 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 My Aunt Fred, I love that, love that woman more than anybody in this world next to my mama and next to my wife. Got to keep everything. If you don't want to get spanked when you get home, guys, you got to keep the order straight. I'm glad God don't make me choose between him and my wife. <laughs> I'd have a rough road to hoe. I remember the day I made peace with, I don't have to love my wife more than I love God. People say, yeah, you do, the Bible says. No, the Bible doesn't say that. It tells me to love her like Christ loved the church. Come on, let's stop getting it wrong. It tells me to love her with the same love you had at church. My love for her isn't vibed with God's. What it means is that when it comes down to it, I go God's way because that'll be the best way for her too. That's what that means, okay? Let's get it right. Boing, boing. I love my aunt more than anybody else in this world. <laughs> for the fifth time. Two ways I knew the recession was coming. I was making all kinds of money. Two ways. One, my Aunt Frieda went out and got herself, I think it was brand new, brand new SUV, Jeep. Now, I love my aunt, but she ain't never had no money. Everybody helped turn her lights on all the time and her telephone. Even though she was good, she could never pay her bills because she never had no money. So when the bank gave her a loan and she pulled up my house, she says, my nickname was Stinker. How's that? I'm telling all kinds of secrets today. My nickname was Stinker. She said, Stinker, come on out here and look at my new car. I thought, new car? Imagine me when I opened up the door and there was that beautiful Jeep, Jeep uh, SUV. I walked out there in awe of this thing. I says, Aunt Freda, how'd you ever get this thing? She says, the bank gave me a loan. Can you believe it? <laughs> I thought, but your late bills will be off next week. No, I can't hardly believe a bank would give you a loan. So I blessed her in her car. I went in there. I told her, I said, we're in trouble. I said, it took me years to build my credit. They gave my Aunt Frieda a loan for this vehicle. And then one day I was praying in communion with the Lord. And guess what God told me? He said, I've let you enjoy and taught you how to enjoy. Now I want to teach you how to be joyful when you don't have anything. I wish I'd have paid more attention to that when he said it. Because I'd have saved a little harder. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you what. He says, I've taught you how to abound. Now I'm teaching you how to be abased. And you will learn to be joyful in my school. And I learned. I learned, Lord. You know, I was at the shop the other day, reminding him again. of it. It's okay. He's the one that made the statement, not me. I've learned. We did have a wonderful thing happen. I told Pastor Larry this. We need $1,000 to pay our bills last week. I didn't have no $1,000 to pay them because in the summer, man, I can get slow like you can't even believe. I either work. Me and Aaron have got so much work that I'm working seven and six and seven in the morning till seven or eight at night, a couple days in a row, trying to keep everything cleaned up or we sit. Well, this one was letting us sit a little bit long. So I says, Lord... I need $1,000. Just before Allie came in, I was sitting on my rocker. You always hear me. I, I love communing with the Lord on a rocker. You know why? you got to go where you feel comfortable, where you settle down. My rocker is a good place to meet with him. Allie came in. She sat down. I said, sweetie, I says, ask the Lord for 1000 She says, you did. And I go, wow, that's good. I'll take that. She says, what? I says, he just now told me I believe to ask for two. She says, really? I says, Lord, I'll take two. No work. Next day, 10 o'clock, phone rang. $1,000 worth of work. Hour later, $1,200 worth of work. I'm at two. A couple hours later, another $1,000 worth of work. A couple hours later, another $1,000 worth of work. Now do you see what happened? Here's what happened. I didn't belliger my father. I just reminded him. You know what? It's getting, and I always do this. You always bring the, if you're a male, you got to do this. The Lord's got a tender heart toward these females. If you want to get him to move, and I'm not being 
goofy here. If you want to get him to move, you remind him. I says, Lord, you know, Allie's been really good lately. She's been really strong. No, I, I, honestly, this is the truth. She's been really good, and she's been strong in faith. Father, this is the strongest I've ever seen her. It's been a long time now, and she's still holding strong. I'm afraid, though, if you don't move, she's going to have a relapse. And we can't be dealing with no relapses. Honest truth. My father says, okay, bam, jump right up, man. Did it. You don't think that works? Everybody goes, Rich, that's sacrilegious. Is it really? Jesus' mom, come and get him. You're Jesus. Jesus, they don't have no wine. The most beautiful day of their life. The wine is gone. Uh, Mama, <laughs> what do you want me to do about it? The father hasn't told me to make wine. She turns around to the servant and says, whatever my son here asks you to do, do it. And then she walked out of room. Now there's Jesus. What's he going to do? The servant's looking at him. They know he loves his mom. That's his mom involved. What's he going to do? I'll tell you what he did. He looked up toward the father and he says, Father, I need some help. Father says, make some wine. You see what happened? The mama forced the hand of the father. And I know I'm going to get in trouble for that because we can't say that. But, but why is that in there? If that didn't happen, Jesus says, Jesus wasn't playing word games with her, trying to make her faith grow. Jesus says, the father didn't tell me anything about that. My hour is not yet. And she thought, you know what? I've been living with promises like this for 30 years. Your hour is now. Your hour is now. I've been pregnant with the promises of God for 30 years, the angel told me and the father. Your time is now. And she walked out of room. So, All that to say, Lord, Allie needs a faith increase. And that was the attitude of my heart. But I do smile when I say it because that's an act of desperation. And my father was pleased to take the thousand and ask, have me ask for two. But then he decided, you know what, I'm just going to double and triple all of it and just show you this goodness. And he just wham like that and did it. He said, I think it's time to ask him for some more. I says, God, now she's learning. No, ain't that right? Now she's learning. I says, sweetie, what number you got? I had a number. She said, I have 2,000. I said, hmm, that's cool. I can live with two. Two came in. I'm good with that. You know, I hate being on the brink with God all the time. That gets old. Some, does that get old to you? I told the father, man, I says, Lord, I love, I love, I love working with you in this. But man, some people seem like they just can make money, man, without just anything. I can get it, but I have to labor for it. But I was reading the other day, and it says that my labor is not in vain in relation to this. So I think as long as Allie continues to come along, I'm already there. Long as she continues to come along, woo, because harmony, man. See, she says, and then she got her heart's desire. I think we're becoming in a good place. The point being, our Father can be trusted. The point being, it's not evil in His heart to take us to the brink. It's for our goodness. You know, I read about this certain bird in the Himalayas. It says, unlike an eagle, an eagle, the way the cleft is made and everything, if a baby eagle is pushed out of the nest, there's still little other ledges and stuff he can grab onto. But this one certain bird, that thing is straight down. 3,500 foot down into a live volcano down there. It says this little bird, when he jumps out of the nest, he it's, it's either he flies or he dies. And it says those little creatures learn how to fly, man. And I thought, look at that. Maybe that's a good analogy of how God is with us. Would we ever learn how to fly? Would we ever learn how to minister out of our brokenness, Paul says, unless we have first been broken? I want to tell you something. Your greatest strength, if you want to know where you can pour your greatest strength is, it's out of your brokenness. Out of the broken spot of your life that God allowed to be touched comes forth your greatest ministry, the most alive. And when you talk to people, their eyes become enlightened, the Word says. There's a light bulb that goes off. You can see it. 
when I talk and I'm talking, I can see light bulbs go off, which ones are being ministered out of the brokenness on this side of my heart or out of the brokenness here. I can almost tell where you've been at in life by that. We minister greatest out of our brokenness. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. For he was broken and beaten, bruised for our transgressions. Our iniquity was upon him. And it says because of that, he poured out oil to the world and he rose to prominence with the Father that he didn't even have before. Can you believe that? That's what the Word says. The Word says that when, when Jesus fully submitted to the will of the Father, he was elevated even higher than he was before. Now, it might, might have been the, the man part of him, but the point making, out of his brokenness of his life, he created healing and balm for the world. So out of our greatest places we're touched becomes our greatest strength, our greatest strength and our passion. And you'll find out you can talk with authority, you can talk with passion, and you'll see people come alive when you speak because that is the moment you were created for right there. Winston Churchill, that little chubby dude, man, when, when Germany was taking over everything and breathing down Britain's, Britain's neck and says, you're next. We're going to take those little, those little English boys and we're going to run them into the sea and we're going to take over because we done took France and we're coming for you. It says that Winston Churchill, he reminded his people, we have no hopes of winning against this military machinery. How can we ever? We don't have the armaments, but we got one thing. We have passion in our hearts. We have history as a people. We have, we have overcame great odds as a nation. He says, let it be written, let it be written of every male and female in this nation that at this moment when Germany attacks, this can be our finest hour. And it says those little boys rose to the challenge of their leader. Of that man as he thundered, this can be your finest moment. The stuff we go through, the thoughts in our heads, I need to get to the thoughts in our heads. I veered off of that one. Can be your finest moment when your greatest life's passion and ministry will pour from the broken side of your heart, man. I'm telling you what, there ain't nothing like it. But before we can do that, we need to learn how to control these thoughts that go around in our head. And I'm going to move to the back because we got to get done. And this is where it's all good anyway. Second Corinthians 10. For though we live in the natural flesh of a bone and body, we do not use human war tactics as humans would use in war, in this spiritual war. For the weapons of our warfare are not ones as a human would use, such as weapons of war or human thought processes. Our weapons that we use against the enemy is not human thoughts, arguing, reasoning with the thoughts in our mind. That's not how we war against it. But even though we do not use instruments of war or human logic, the weapons of God that we use are far superior to anything that we can use with our own reasonings or create. They will crumble the enemy's strongholds. You know what that word stronghold means in the original? It means a castle or a nest built in your mind where the enemy inhabits, where wrong thought patterns inhabit, those thoughts that keep tripping you up. And you know what they are. There are certain things in life that will keep messing you up. That is an enemy stronghold that needs to be removed. If it keeps tripping you up, it needs to go. The Father can send it out. But you have to be involved and use the Father's weapons of mass destruction against that thing. Listen to what he says. They crumble enemy strongholds. These nests that we have allowed the enemy to build in our own minds. 2 Corinthians 10.5 These the thoughts of God will obliterate and demolish all human reasonings and arguments against God's way. And it will nullify and remove every lie that we have entertained and allowed the enemy that works against the truth of God. Every, every thought the enemy throws at us, every thought our mind throws at us that's against the mind of God, we are to take captive. Do you hear that? Listen, church. Here's how you rid the nest in your heads. Every thought that comes to you that is not a thought of God, it is your responsibility, not the Lord's, to take that captive. Stop praying. 
How many times, children of Israel, I, Moses fell on his face. What did God say? Get up! Oh, I thought prayer was a good position. No, not when you're supposed to be doing something that isn't. Joshua fell on his face. God looked over at him and says, Get up, boy! Okay. Lord. God says, Stop mumbling to me. They're sinning a camp. Deal with it. You see what I'm saying? There's times for prayer. Here's what you do. Here's time for prayer, Father. This is an enemy nest in my mind. This thing keeps tripping me up. What do I need to do to get rid of it? And the thoughts that God speaks to you is the thoughts you lob at that thing, man. And when that thing comes back later today, you hit it again. And when it comes back later tonight, you hit it again. And when it comes back in three days, you hit it again. You're in a war. A war don't always get over in one week. A war doesn't always get over in one day. But we are taking enemy ground from the enemy that we have allowed him to have our own thought process. This thing will obliterate and remove it. We are to take captive every thought and submit it for evaluation as we bow our mind and spirit to the presence of God. Every thought that comes to you in those areas that are wrong, that isn't a thought that God thinks, you need to take it captive. Don't argue with your mind. Here's what you do. Here's what I do. Here's what you do. Wrong thought comes to your mind. Hmm. Yeah. You know, we think about it. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, oh, yeah, that's bad. Oh. Hmm. What's going on with that? Oh, no. No, no. That's not what a soldier does. That's not what we do. When that thought comes, wham, and we go, wait a minute. How does that line up with the word? How does that line up with my known dealings with God? And every thought that isn't of him, I take captive. I say, no, no. That one, you go. And immediately I will call to Scripture or something that I have learned previously. Often I talk about those power Scriptures. I have about 12 power Scriptures that I will lob at the enemy, man, with everything I have, man. I will pound him into the dust with that thing. Did you ever watch Jesus? He didn't spend time arguing with Satan. It is written. 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 War, 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 war. And that's what you do. And them thoughts come, don't, don't reason with them. Don't argue with them. They tell us. Now, when you get a bad thought, replace it with a positive one. Please. Please. We're going to lose. We will lose the spiritual war if we replace a negative thought with a positive one. If it isn't the thought of God. This is a spiritual war. We do not war using natural thought process of our mind. We use spiritual thought. We think thoughts after God's own heart. What He thinks about me is what I say. Devil comes, I heard people, you know, the devil comes and say, You're no good. And you go, Yeah, I know I'm no good, but, 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 no, no, no nonsense. My father didn't die for a nobody. Praise God, he died for a son. I'm a son. You, uh, I'm a son. That's where you move in. You know you're standing your position in Christ. And I want to tell you something. The greatest weapon, and I have to get done here, the greatest weapon of any weapon ever, the greatest weapon, sometimes prayer isn't, isn't even as effective as this weapon. Now, what can be a weapon that's even more effective than prayer? Trick question. There is one that I found to be more effective than prayer. Not that I don't pray. Hmm? And what do we do with the Word of God? Huh? And then what else? Meditate. Speak it. Speak it. Speak it's getting good. The Word's getting good. What do we do? Woo! What do we do? What's these sisters do up here? They lead us in worship and praise. You want to know the greatest weapon in the world against Satan? He's everything that's despondent and depressed and it's death. Guess what he can't inhabit? The praises of God's people. Guess what he has to run from? 
the praises of God's people. The longest book in the Bible is what? Psalms, which is the songbook of Israel. The greatest weapon that we have in our arsenal. We know we got to stay prayed up and connected to the Father. The next greatest weapon, or the greatest, I believe, is the releasing out of my heart to my Father all of the praises that I hold for Him. Man, my... He inhabits the praises of His people. That's exactly right. My wife watched me battle this. Did I have a rough battle this week? Whew! I'm preaching out of my bankruptcy this morning. It's a battle. But I tell you what, I turn to the weapons. I turn to the weapons. She would watch me get victorious. I said, sweet, I'm right. Woo! I'm, I'm surfing. Woo! I'm riding that wave. A couple hours later, man, I've been hit. You know I've been hit when my wife tells me, I think you need to go spend a little time with the Lord. She don't tell me that very She tells me that about three times a year. Praise God, that's all. You know what I told her the other day? I said, I'm tired of fighting. I said, I think I'm just going to sit here for a while and just enjoy my misery. That's what I told her. I'm sitting here for a while and enjoy my misery. But then God reminded me of something. You know, he, he's got this way of reminding me of things. He reminded me of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. Jeremiah says he finally got ticked off the guy and he says, I'm not going to preach in his name anymore. I'm not going to speak in his name no more. I had it. But then guess what Jeremiah said? But then his word burned in me. It burned in me like a hot coal. And although I kept my mouth closed, it flew open and out come his greatness. Man, you see what I'm saying? When we know our Father, praises and glory to Him is the awesomeness of this whole thing. Let's stand up, not, not literally, in our minds. Let's go out of here. I'm telling you, this will just run you around in circles, man. This thing will run you into the ground if we haven't learned to tie it up. Let's go to our heart, the center of our God consciousness. Let's go to the place where God dwells. What's God saying? What's God saying? Father, we want to know your heart. We want to know your thoughts. We want to think thoughts after you. When we come up against a mountain, mountain, a mountain, told us to speak to the mountain. Speak. That seems so simple. And tell it, you know what? Time to make way. Because I'm coming through. Man, Jesus made that so, sound so easy. And he modeled it so easy. But Jesus was a man of strength, but the word says he was also a man of sorrow. See what I'm saying? He lived life as we lived. He learned what it was to grapple. It says in Hebrews that, that he was successful in his fight with the devil and with his own mind in that he feared God. With strong cries and tears he cried to God who was able to deliver him and he was heard not because he was a son but because he feared and reverenced God. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? We say, yeah, but Jesus had a thing with God because he was God's son. The word just said there, that wasn't why he had a thing with God. The reason he had a thing with God was because he believed God. And no matter what blocked his way, he believed in the goodness of God. He believed in the awesomeness of God. He believed not only is our God able, but my God will. And that's the way Jesus lived. That's where he lived. And he was heard by God and blessed because he feared and reverenced his father. Church, we've got to fear and reverence our Father. We've got to fear and reverence Him. We've got to, 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 I'm telling you, we, we, we think too much. We figure out too much. We need to become a praising people. 
We need to praise our Father. Begin to praise Him more and more and more. Let me tell you something. I'm going to give you another insight into my family. One, one group of my family, the wife ended up having some, some mental problems. And she could hardly work through them. And I watched this and evaluated this. And this was during the time God was dealing with me on this praise thing, the power of praise. And the time came when Allie started experiencing some problems. Very similar. And I was involved in church work with this brother. So I think it was a demonic thing. Because what was on his wife was all of a sudden starting to mess with mine. But I says, no. No. We're not doing this. So I did Allie the way I do me. I said, you know what? Get out of the house. Get out of the house. Man-made environment. Get out of there. Go out. Go out. Go outdoors. Look up into the firmament. Look up into the heavens and begin to praise our God. Begin to give him praise for his awesomeness and his goodness. That's what she did. That's what broke the power of the enemy. It wasn't just kneeling and crying out. It was getting up. You see what happened? We got up. And she went out, and she says, I feel so dumb raising my hands because I don't raise them. I said, get them up anyway. It's an act. You're, you're moving. You're moving. You're beginning to move. Move toward him. In praise. Praise, praise, praise. Praise. We don't praise the Father because of what we can get. We praise him because of his goodness. See, it says in Psalms, Psalms 137, it says that the children of Israel knew God by his miracles, but Moses knew his heart. That's interesting. Children of Israel knew him for his acts, but Moses knew him for his heart. When the children, when God did a miracle, the children of Israel, oh, that's cool. The next day they forgot about it. Moses never forgot. Because Moses moved in the heart of God and knew what was behind the miracle, behind it, entering in. Let's praise because praise draws us in. Praise draws us in. Let's get ready to stand. Praise draws us into his presence. Praise draws us. Let me tell you something. Read through Psalms. David often goes, my soul, which is the same word as mine, my mind, be quiet. What's he doing? He's shutting down his thoughts. Be quiet. Hope in God. Look how he turned. He turned what was rolling around his head. He says, stop. I hope in God. And he did that over, and the Psalms is full of that. That's what we do. We move into his realm. Let's stand. We move into his realm. We go into the praise room of his place. Praise, 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 praise. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you, God, that you have told us that if we praise you, we don't praise you to get, we praise you because of who you are. You're our Father. What father doesn't like to be praised by his children? You know what? When my children tell me, you know what, Dad? You really did good with this. Or you really did good with that. Man, I'll tell you what, I walk ten foot taller you think God is any less? I think when you tell your papa how awesome he is, I think he just, just grows in greatness, if you can grow in greatness. He grows in greatness. Papa, I thank you that you inhabit our praises. Lord, and we don't even know how to praise you as we ought, but somehow in all of it, you receive such glory and honor, and, and out of all of that, you, you pour it back into us, God and we receive. Father, help us this coming week when thoughts come that's not thoughts after you. They aren't thoughts that are comforting. They aren't thoughts that are ministering that we say, wait a minute, let me think my Father's thoughts. And then God begin to think the thoughts that come out of our heart. Begin to thank you for your goodness, for your love, for your patience, for your awesomeness. Who can look into heaven, God, and not know that you are great? Father, help us to do that I would pray. Bless us this week, especially. It just seems like a time of, of testing. You know, your word says this testing's cool. It says it's good for us. Let us pass the test, God, I pray. Be with Angie.
be with pastor, be with anyone else here, God, any friends and family. We pray for all of them, God. Pray for the ministries of the church. Father, you know all about this. We just, I just, blump, there they are, God. They're yours. They're yours. Do as seemeth best to you, Father, would be my prayer. Goodness, we hope for goodness. It's good to hope. Hope fuels our faith. Hope. This hope does not make us ashamed because when we hope, our faith is fueled and the love of our Father is released in our heart. God, Lord, help us to hear that, I would pray. In Jesus' name, amen.